Hey, um, I'm Brian. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, man, I'm, I'm glad to be up here today. Uh, glad that you're here, uh, especially if this is your first time or, or first or second time hanging out with us. We want to say a special welcome to you. We love new people uh, around here so much, in fact, that if you're new, we'd love to give you a gift just for hanging out with us. You can pick that up at the Hub on your way out. So if you're a first or second time guest, make sure you stop by the Hub uh, on, your, on your way out. Uh, you picked a great day to be here. We're starting a brand new series today called... Skeleton in the closet. And what are we talking about for the next four weeks counting today? Are, are those, those secret sins, those things that, that, we, that all of us, I believe, struggle with on some level, uh, but it's really hard to talk about. Sometimes it's really hard to identify it or even nail it down or, or access our understanding of that particular thing in and as a part of our lives. And so we're going we're gonna to tackle four of those issues in this series starting today with... Worry. With worry. We're going to talk all about anxiety and worry today. Now, worry is, is kind of a big topic, right? There's a, there's a lot of different ways that you can come at it, a lot of different aspects. Like I could get overly specific about one particular type of worry or about one particular thing that some of us worry with. But, but my fear in being overly specific is that I might miss the majority of the people in the room today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and simplify it. I'm going to give us two categories of things that we worry about in just a minute, and we'll talk through each of those, uh, one briefly and one extensively. But we're going to talk about just two different types or two different categories of, of worry uh, in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to address something I was kind of battling with a little bit as I was preparing for the message. Is like we're going to talk about worry today, and we're going to call it a, a skeleton in the closet. We're going to call it a, a secret sin. And I wondered if people might wonder, I mean, is worry, is it really a sin? I mean, you kind of can't help it, right? Like things happen, and you get scared, and things happen, and they cause you anxiety, and things happen, and you, you worry. Everybody does it. Right? And I don't mean to. It's not like I wake up in the morning like, all right, all right, what can I worry about today? Like it's not an intentional decision. We don't, we don't actively choose to worry about. Well, most of us don't. Right? Maybe some of us do. But, but we don't actively choose to worry. But, so here, here's my hope for our, our time here together today. If I could just kind of set it up for you, my, my goal, what I want to accomplish today. I want to talk about these two different types of worry. I want to explain and show to you why worry is, why it's wrong, why it's sinful, why it's not, not what God wants for you or what God's best for you is. We're going to talk about that, so I'm going, to, I'm going to try and make a case for why worry is a sin and why it's a secret sin and why we hide it. And then, and then, like, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be a great service. Like, welcome to Fusion City Church. If you worry it's sinful, you're a horrible, evil person, y'all have a good week. Like, that's not a, that's not a, good, that's not a good Sunday for us. Right? So, so I want to show you, yeah, that worry is something that you want to avoid. I want to I give you some tools for how to avoid Actually, one tool for how to avoid it, how to get off the worry train, get out of worry town, and all the other worry euphemisms I could use. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I want to help you. Because I believe that there's a lot of, of, of help to be found in, in one passage of Scripture in just a couple of verses. So we're going to look at those in just a second. So let me give you those two categories that I was talking about because I said that I'm gonna, I want to simplify worry today. I want to put it in two categories. All right, so here they are. We can worry about things that we have the ability to change. And we can worry about things that we have no ability to change. 
Those are my two categories. And every form of worry has to fall into one of those two categories, right? Either you can do something about it or you can't, right? All right, so here we go. Now, for the things that we worry about, that we do have the ability to change. Here's what I'm going to tell you to do, right? Point number one, if you want to write this down, you can put this in your notes, on your connection card or in your book, whatever you want to do. Don't worry, work, right? If there is something that you can do about the thing that you are worried about, get busy doing it. Work. If you can change it, change it. Here's here's what we tend to do. Here's what we tend to do. In our natural human self, all of us, all of us are pre-wired to find and choose the path of least resistance. And oftentimes, and we're seeing this kind of becoming an, an epidemic, maybe even nationally, maybe even globally. Here's an epidemic that I believe we're witnessing take place right now. Is that people will find themselves in a difficult to handle situation. And instead of doing the work to get themselves out of the situation, they first worry about the situation and then expect somebody else to help them fix it. Right? Do you see this? Am I, if, if, you, if you agree, just do your hands like this. It should be everybody because I think all of us are seeing this right now, right? That instead of doing the work to, to improve my situation, what we see uh, in a lot of situations and a lot of circumstances is people are, they, they find themselves in a difficult place, worry about it, stress themselves out about it, but but ultimately do nothing to get themselves out and wait for somebody to come in and, and, and rescue, come in and help and come in and do it for me or whatever. But Scripture says this, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. It says, the soul of the sluggard, that's the person that doesn't like to do a whole lot of things, the, the person in that path at least, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. If you are worried about something that is within your power to change, your problem isn't worry. Your practice is misplaced motivation, right? And I think Scripture is really clear to us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says that everything that you do work as if you're doing it for the Lord. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says that Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonians about some lazy people that they had hanging out with them, Paul says, look, 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 if they don't want to eat, if they don't want to work, they don't get to eat. Right? Like, that we should be diligent in our efforts because the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So in the course of, of our conversation today, in reference to the things that you worry about that you can't control, how am I going to pay my bills, what are, like, things that you have the ability to do something about. Yeah, find some help. Yes, get, yeah, bring some people around you. That's awesome. But be willing to choose the path that is not the one of least resistance, but the one that gets you to what you want, the one that gets you to what you desire. I, I have a belief that anything a man wants badly enough, he'll find a way to have. You might have to sacrifice a lot of other things to get there, but if you want it badly enough, you in yourself will find it, find a way to have it. So it's not an issue with worry so much as it is an issue with motivation. And we'd love to help you. We'd love to counsel you through stuff. We'd like to point you in the right direction. If you're struggling and you're worried about some things that you really do believe you have the ability to affect change in, let us know. We'd, we'd love to come, come alongside you and advise you. But here's what we're going to tell you to do. Don't worry. Work. Let's get, let's get busy. Let's do something to affect the situation that you're worried about. Now, 
That is worry about things that we can change. The rest of our time together today, I, I wanted to make that point because I believe in a lot of times we, we just worry and don't work. That's not right. We should do something. But I think more often the case than not, we worry about things because they're out of our control. We're worried about things because we don't know what the outcome is going to be. We have no ability to affect the outcome. And therefore, we worry. Parents, it's the first time that your child drives away in a car without you in it. It's, it's when they start dating. It's when they go off to college. It's when they get married, start a life of their own. In all of those situations, you, you feel a bit out of control, and it causes you to worry. You find a mass or a lump or something hurts and you go to the doctor and they do some tests. And as you're awaiting the results of the test, what do we do? We worry, right? We have no ability to change it whatsoever. We can't make ourselves any healthier than we were when the test was taken. But somehow or another we worry because we're out of control. It's out of our hands. We have no ability to affect it whatsoever. We worry about the things that someone else might do or might not do. We have no ability to make them choose or to, make, or to, to do whatever they're going to do for them or whatever it is. We, we just wait to see what they will or they won't do, and we worry because we have no ability to control what someone else does. Did you guys know that? You have no ability to, to make someone else do anything. So oftentimes we worry about the things that others We'll do. Worry says, I'm not in control, and I wish that I were. See, here's the problem. As Christians, we believe that there is somebody who's already in control. And if there's someone who's already in control, and we wish that we were in control... What does that say about our relationship between the person who is in control and our desire to be in control? It, it says that there's a conflict there, right? That if somebody is already in control of something and I want to be in control of that thing, that means that I wish I am who they, were, who they are and I wish I could make the decisions that they get to make. Now, y'all know where I'm going with this. Y'all smart people. You know who I'm talking about. Because as Christians, we already believe that God is in control, right? We believe that God is in control of everything, that he's all-powerful, that he's all-knowing, that he's all-present, that he is in all places at all times and in control of all things at every moment. We believe that to be the nature of the God that we say we believe in. He is in control. And when we want something that belongs to him, we're in error. We're the ones who are out of line. That is, in fact, what makes worry a sin. Do you agree? Do you hear like this? Yep. If you worry, worry. Here's what worry says. Here, this is, here, let's define worry, right, if you want to write this down. Worry is our desire to be in control of the things that God is already controlling. Does that, not, does that define your worry? I wish I was in control, and I'm not. But 
I believe God is in control, but I want to be in control. Worry is my desire to be in control of the things that God is already controlling. Now, we know, we know that that shouldn't be the case. So what I want to do today is I want to help us find some help from one of Jesus' closest friends on the earth. When, when Jesus was here on earth for three and a half years, the man who was, who was part of Jesus' inner circle, one of the three. You had, you had Peter, James, and John. Those were like Jesus' three BFFs. They went with Jesus everywhere, got to see all of the coolest and most amazing things. After Jesus goes to the cross, is crucified, comes back, he's resurrected, he ascends into heaven, he puts one man in charge of the whole thing, and that dude's name was Peter. Now, Peter, years later, would write a letter to a bunch of churches that were going through some stuff. These guys, these churches were up against it. As a matter of fact, they're called the churches in the dispersion. Here's, here's what that means. That there was this group of churches, we believe that there were probably five or six churches that Peter is writing this letter to with the intent that they would pass the letter among themselves. But these churches were under such intense persecution that everything was going so wrong for them and they were being hunted and they were being pressed down upon and everything that could go wrong was going wrong. Everybody that could be against them was against them so much in fact that they began to disperse. They began to kind of run and hide and they became in, in or they moved to more remote locations than where they had been previously. So Peter writes this letter. We call it the book of 1 Peter in our Bible, and that's where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and flip over to 1 Peter, that's where we're going to be in just a minute. But Peter writes this letter to these churches in the dispersion, going through this intense time of struggle. If anybody had a case to worry, it was them. And Peter writes a letter. And I'm going to read just a couple of verses at the very end of 1 what we know to be 1 Peter. He'd write another letter later that we call 2 Peter because Christians aren't all the time all that creative with the way we name things. Um, but, but 1 Peter, at the very end of the letter, in the last chapter, chapter 5, Peter writes these words, verses, uh, Peter, 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to read them to you completely, and then we're going to go back and kind of work through them and pick them apart. So here's what it says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So that's, that, that, that's it. Just two verses, right? Verses 6 and verses 7. So let's work through them, right? Here's how Peter starts. Humble yourselves. Listen, if God is already in control... And I want to be in control. Wouldn't it make sense if we believe all the things that we say we believe about God that I would then humble myself to put myself under God's authority in submission to his. Like, God, here's your deal. God, here's my deal. You're God. I should probably put, make God the Bible. So, like, so God is here. <laughs> I just realized that. I'm here, God, I'm going to put your deal ahead of my deal. I'm going to bring my deal under the authority of yours. I'm going to humble myself to put myself under you. Right? Makes sense. All right? Now, Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore. You guys have heard me say this before, but we're going to do it again today because it's fun. Every time you see a therefore in Scripture, somebody help me. you got to stop and see what it's. 
therefore, right? Every time you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to stop and see what it's there for. In this case, what Peter is referencing is a remark that he just, rem- just made in one verse prior. So let's go read uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 5, the end of it. He says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And Peter here is actually quoting Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, which says the exact same thing. That God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So in Peter's discourse about worry, in his instructions for how to get rid of our anxieties, he brings in this idea of pride and humility. That God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter here connects two things that I don't think we often associate with one. We, don't, we wouldn't associate worry with pride or unhealthy pride. But, but remember, when I told you up front that worry is a sin. And the reason that worry is a sin is because it's rooted in, in pride. Now follow me. Go with me, right? Worry happens when I feel like I'm losing or I have lost control. But I believe that God is in control. But I want to be in control. Humility then becomes necessary on my part, right? God's deal ahead of my deal. But if I get it wrong and I begin to worry, that's because I've exhibited the characteristic that is opposite of humility. If humility is, God, I put your deal ahead of my deal. And the only time that I worry is when I don't put your deal ahead of my deal. Then that means I'm exhibiting the opposite of humility, which is what? Pride. Ergo, follow me, worry is pride. Worry is pride. If your worry, I'm sorry, if it's your pride that makes you worry, and Peter says, here's what you got to do. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. He's mighty. And if in your pride God opposes you, because God does what to the proud? He opposes the proud. If God opposes those who are proud, stop being prideful. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. You don't want him opposing you. You want his mighty hand aiding you in response to your humility. If, if, if humbling myself gets me access to the grace of God, that's where I want to be. Because God opposes the proud, but he does what to the humble? He gives grace to the humble. It's, it's not even like if I'm not proud, God doesn't dislike me. If I'm not proud, God helps me in my humility because God gives grace to the humble. Thomas Reiner said it like this. He said, worry is a form of pride because when believers are filled with anxiety, they are convinced that they must solve all problems in their lives in their own strength. The only God they trust is themselves. 
when believers throw their worries upon God, they express their trust in his mighty hand, acknowledging that the Lord is, that, that, I'm sorry, acknowledging that he is Lord and sovereign over all of life. So there's, there's the bad news, right? Worry's a sin. If you worry, it's because you want to be in control and you're not. But God is already in control. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's the bad news. If you're worried, it's because you're prideful. You need to humble yourself. But then Peter, Peter changes gears, and we get the good news, right? I told you it would be a terrible sermon if I left, let you go out of here with that. So Peter turns the page, not literally but figuratively, and he says, hey, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. He'll give you grace so that, verse, end of verse 6, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That means to, to lift you up, to give you good, to bless you, to, to prosper your life, to do good things for you. That in the proper time, if you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, he's going to lift you up. He's going to exalt you. He's going to help you. It's going to be good for you in the proper time. Here's the thing about the proper time. Our definition of proper time and God's definition of proper, proper time are often very different things. All right? We like to, here again, here's that control thing. God, I want, thank you, God, for, for your mighty hand that's going to give me grace in my humility. Could you do it right now, please? And God was like, no, 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 at the, at the proper time. Now, here's a reality that a lot of us probably don't even want to embrace. But sometimes the proper time that the thing you're worried about is going to go away is when you see Jesus face to face because you're dead and in eternity. Some of the things that you're worried about may not change in your lifetime. But at the proper time, when, when you have all of eternity in front of you at the proper time, that may be the very time that God exalts you. But one way or another, whether it be God changing your situation and your circumstances in the here and now, three months from now, six months from now, six years from now, or, or, or when he calls you home, at some proper time, God will exalt his children who humble themselves under his mighty hand. So for the things that we can change, we don't worry, we work. But for the things that we worry about that we have no ability to change, don't worry, wait. If you can change it, work. If you can't, wait. Because at the proper time, according to God's holy, divine, sovereign will, at the proper time, God will exalt you. Do you, know how, do you know how we know that? Do you know how we can have confidence in that? Peter's going to tell us. Peter says, as you wait for the proper time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I don't know if there's a more comforting verse in all of Scripture. That, that word cast it's not, a, it's not a word that we would use much outside of um, fishing. 
but it's kind of similar. That, that word cast means back up the trunk and dump it. Like just cast all your anxiety, cast all your anxieties. In the Greek, that word means all. Cast all your anxiety, everything that you are concerned about, back up and dump that stuff on God. He's big enough to take it. Cast all your anxieties on him. And why can you do that with confidence? Because he cares for you. Here's what that means. If you're worried about it, if, if it's of concern to you, then it matters to your heavenly father because he cares for you. Because he cares. It's like even the littlest things, God, God would say, I, I care. Yeah, but God, this seems so trivial. Ah, is it important to you? I mean, yeah, God, kind of, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's kind of, all right. If it's important to you, then it's important to me. Why, God? Because I care for you. I, God cares about the things you care about. He's not distant, removed, just out of touch. God, if, if it matters to you, it matters to him. And he's big enough to take your anxiety. He's big enough to take your anger. You ever been mad at God? You ever prayed angry prayers? God's big enough to handle your anxiety. He's big enough to handle the things that we dump on him, that we cast on him. If it matters to you, it matters to him. So what do we do about the skeleton in our closet of worry? Because we all do it. We all worry. It's a skeleton we all battle. The first thing we have to do with that skeleton in our closet, we have to call it what it is. Let's give it a name. Right? Not like John or Bob. Like a, like a name of what it is. Right? Let's just call it pride because that's what it is. That worry you feel, that is you telling God, God, you're in control of this, but I wish I were. I, I want to run my own life. That's not the perspective of a Christian. So the first thing we do, we have to call it what it is. That worry in our closet, it's pride. And then we have to confess this to God. God, prayer might sound like this. God, I know that my ways are never going to be as good as your ways. I know that I'm never going to see things from the perspective that you see things. So because you're God and I'm not, God, God I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to submit my plan to yours. And God, when you're away, makes me nervous or anxious. I'm throwing that all back on you because you're the one that's in control of it. If you're handling the situation, then you have to hear my complaints. And God says, okay, I can handle that. I can deal with that. When you doing things my way makes you nervous, you come and tell me about it. And you know what? I'll care. I'll care about it because I care for you. God, I'm just going to give it to you. So if we could tie all this up with a bow. Here's what Peter's saying. When it comes to your worry, 
Don't be afraid to call it what it is. It's pride. But you got to be willing to recognize that and to make a choice. You got to decide. In that moment, when I'm worried, if there's something I can do about it, then God has given me all authority and right to, to, to do whatever I can do about it within the scope of things that still honor Christ, right? Let's not, let's not get crazy. But whatever you can do to accomplish it, you should be working. Don't worry. Work. And in the things that you have no ability to control, we wait. We wait for God's proper time. And in the waiting, which can be nerve-wracking as well, anxiety, worry loves to live in the waiting. But as we wait, all that fear, all that worry, all that anxiety, God, I'm going to give that to you. Because you're the one that's in control. You're the boss. You're the CEO. God, you're making all the calls. So if something goes wrong, it's on you. But it's not going to go wrong because he's God. God, I trust you. And I, I know that I can. I know that I can trust you to make the decisions because I know that you care for me. And if you're, if you're wondering, well, how do we know that God cares? Because he's demonstrated it over and over and over, and, and Scripture tells us that God never changes. And the same God that loved you enough and cared enough about you to give you a path back to him in spite of your sin, the same God that would sacrifice his son to give you the opportunity to be in relationship with him, that same God that would do all of that hasn't changed. And he still feels the same way about you now as he did when you were still in disobedience and in opposition to him. He gave you his son then. He would do the same today. If he loves you enough to save you then, he loves you enough to care now. So you can cast all your anxieties on him. Don't worry. Work or wait. Let's pray together. Father, God, as we, as we dig into this idea of, of, of worry, Father, it's something that we, we all experience. God, it's my hope that as we take our advice from maybe the disciple that had the most calls for worry of any, written to the churches that had the most calls for worry of any, God, I pray that those words would resound in our hearts and in our minds. God, that we, we are to humble ourselves because you oppose the proud. And give grace to the humble. So, Father, would you help us not be proud? Would you help us to trust in your sovereignty? God, would you help us to, to, to act on what we say we believe, that you, God, are almighty, all-powerful, and all-present, and are in control? God, God I don't want to be in control. I want you to be in control. But help me, Father, when I battle that tension in my own mind of wanting to pull back the reins on my own life. Father, instead, would you help me to give it to you, trusting in your love and your care and your concern for me. And God, we know that that's true because we believe that you've given us your son, Jesus, to stand in the gap in the place of our sin and to receive for us what should have been our punishment. Father, if you loved us enough to do that, we know that you love us enough to be concerned about the things that cause us to worry. We thank you, God, that we can trust you 
not only in the day-to-day, but in our thought life as well. Father, help us to give all our worry to you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.